If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds. And while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The Glass Noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 143 of Confessions of a Marketer, blending marketing with experiential. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Ruthie Shoulder is here to chat about one of our favorite subjects, experiential marketing. We've gone almost a year with twice-weekly episodes. It was a great experiment. And maybe we'll revisit the idea again soon. But for the time being, we're going back to weekly episodes on Tuesdays starting today. I think this gives my guests more time for their ideas to bubble up. As always, your thoughts are welcome. Hit me up on Twitter, LinkedIn, or drop me a note at confessionsofamarketer.com. Up next time, we have content queen Shay Robottom in for a fascinating chat about social, video, LinkedIn success, and even a little rap. Soon, we'll have Catherine Hayes, speaker, advisor, co-host of CMO Spotlight on Sirius XM Business Radio and author of Beyond Advertising on the show. Ksenia Montan will be in to chat about her manifesto on content marketing teams, and we've got lots more in store. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. All right, on to Ruthie Shoulder. She's co-founder and CEO of the Participation Agency, an experiential and digital agency based in New York City. In this wide-ranging discussion, we get an idea of Ruthie's background, how she came to found her agency, how marketing and experiential blend, what it's like to work as an embed in so many different companies, her work as a mentor for young women in business, and of course, the future. Let's get to it. Ruthie, it's great having you on Confessions of a Marketer. Welcome. Thank you. Can you share your background and how you founded the Participation Agency? Sure. I have an entrepreneurial background. I was living and working in New York City and had a bunch of different jobs in the creative industry and then always was sort of figuring out a side hustle. In my mid-20s, I started a children's fashion business. I did not have kids, but I saw a real opportunity in the marketplace. And then I got a little bit of experience there and 
had a really, really great time building a company for a few years that got a ton of press, but made no money. (laughs) (laughs) And then switched over to selling my gluten-free baked goods around New York City while I was getting my MBA at NYU at night. And while I was doing that, I connected with my now business partner of eight years, Jessica Ressler. And she had had a branding agency at the time. So we had worked together. I had hired her and we had worked together on a couple of different projects. And we really, really hit it off. And she having an entrepreneurial background and with my own, we realized that there are so many learnings just about partnership that happened in those first couple of businesses that are your like boot camp training ground mm. oh, for yeah. the thing that actually works. And so we recognized that we were really great partners and Jessica was also getting her MBA at NYU. And then when we finished and all of our friends were going to work at giant corporations, we knew that that wasn't us. And so we said, we're marketers, we're strategists, we're business people, we're brand people. What does marketing of the future really look like? Around eight years ago, nine years ago, when we were having this conversation, saying experiential had been like saying social media 10 years before that, where all brands knew that they had to do it, but they didn't really know why and they didn't really know how. And so we said, we recognize that this is a piece of marketing where brands are just spending more and more and more money every single year. And if we can come in and start with some strong projects and really figure out a point of view, then we think we could really do something here. And that was eight and a half years ago. And we've been slowly and then quickly building the business. Yeah. How do you think that you're kind of being an entrepreneur before you started your agency, how do you think that plays into you relating to your clients, who many of which are probably entrepreneurs themselves? Yeah, well, it's interesting because we started an agency, but neither of us have agency backgrounds. And I think that that really, really gives us a lot of freedom. Like a lot of people will be like, well, who are your top five competitors? And I honestly can't tell you. And I think that that's really liberating because we don't get caught in group think that I do see happening around in our industry. And so we're able to say, let's do something that feels a little bit more risky or let's create our own metrics together with our clients of what do we actually think success for this program looks like as opposed to what other people in the industry are doing, but they're giving you metrics that don't really matter for your numbers. Like we allow ourselves and push ourselves to constantly question the status quo and constantly think differently. And it helps because it also really self-selects out our clients, like people who want to do very run-of-the-mill, very basic type of experiences. They're not going to come to us because we're just a little bit more out of the box with the creative strategy that we bring to life. And so it really helps us also be constantly nimble. Like we are people who like to do new things and unchartered things every single day. And so we're able to grow projects really, really quickly or really differently because we love doing the impossible. And we bring that level of fearlessness to our clients who, if they're working at a giant Fortune 20 company, they're not always going to be able to just bring that to the table because the way that their company is structured is really different. So we can come in and be the somewhat more outspoken, risk-taking, like we got to try it because we know deep within ourselves that this is the right thing. Whereas I think some clients who, like I said, are in either giant corporations or who really are not entrepreneurial, it's harder for them to get there in their minds. Yeah. 
So you're after a specific kind of client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean. And a specific kind of relationship then too, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're thought partners. I mean, in experiential marketing, there are a lot of teams who really just do production and they'll come in and they'll execute off of somebody's creative, they'll dip in and they'll dip out. And that's really ideally not our approach. We were both strategists and we've trained our team to think in that way also. And we have amazing, amazing, brilliant people on our team. And so we really like to come in and say, okay, like the experience piece, the physical piece that we're talking about is one fraction of the whole thing. And we need to be really, really holistic in our view And how do we come up with something where there's like a bedrock of a physical experience, but where we're creating these digital feedback loops with customers and doing all of these different things that really work together to create an impactful strategy. So experiential, let's talk about that. I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast and on some other podcasts that we produce at Podco Media Networks about experiential and experiential marketing. Talked about it all the time. How do you define it and how do you help clients create great experiences? It's a really great question and it's really important to talk about because experiential means a hundred different things to a hundred different people. Like it means everything and nothing right now. (laughs) So we create experiences that are rooted in some sort of physical interaction with consumers or, you know, your B2B partners, but we build it out with a very, very robust digital strategy to ensure that the money experiential is expensive. And if you are not constantly thinking about a pre, a during, and a post strategy or how an experiential platform is charting across 12 months instead of just a three-day pop-up, you're really honestly just wasting a lot of resources. And so the thing that we're always challenging ourselves to do is how are we coming up with the most out-of-the-box campaign that is brand-aligned, that's values-driven, and that's really seizing a market opportunity or solving a business problem. And on a little bit of a more like directional, beacon-guiding-like moment for us, we're very, very into this concept of transformative marketing. So we want every single person who comes into one of our experiences to leave transformed in some way, whether that's in their depth of knowledge of their product or the brand, whether that's in like where we are a very values driven company and we focus a lot on sustainability and inclusion of diversity and health and wellness. And so we want people leaving to also say like, what is like a point of action that I'm going to take now that I've been transformed by this experience. And it's really, really important to tap into these like deep sort of like emotions and just deeper levels of thinking for consumers, because that is how you get them to come along with your journey as a brand beyond just this experience that they've come to. And so we are very, very 360 in our strategy. It's digital, it's influencers and experiential all working together. And each one is so important for you know the experiences, the runway for the brand or the product the influencers are just the people that you invite in to start speaking on behalf of your experience and your brand and your product are super important. And we think the more inclusive you are and the more diverse you are, the better your story is. And then the digital is like creating a whole digital world where this can all live so that 
you're not just saying goodbye to people once they leave and after you've spent tons of money trying to get them into your space. But now that they know you and there's a comfort level and you know that they want you to market to them, what is the right way to continue to market to them? And what is the right way that you build a platform rooted in these things? And just one really big thing for us is like, I like to say, we don't throw events, we build platforms. And I think that that's a really, really big differentiator because a lot of experiential teams or activations are very short, they're limited, they're considered separate from a company's overall marketing plan. And we don't see it that way. We think that the most successful way to do experiential is to build an actual experiential platform where there's the things I mentioned before that come off of that, the experiential, the digital and influencer, and you need to have all of those things really working together. Yeah. So I used the words experiential and marketing right next to each other in my previous question. And I think you did once or twice speaking just now. I'm interested in how marketing and experiential blend or where one ends and where the other begins. Is it a continuum or are they separate things? I don't think that they're separate things. I think they're all plots on a circle is kind of how we look at it. Because I think in order to make your marketing strategy as efficient as possible, you need to be hitting on all different types, right? You need your experiential, you need your PR angle, you need your media partnerships, like you need lots and lots of things. I think that really kind of like ladder up to the sum of the parts and they should all fit together. I think that if you're looking at experience as something that's disparate, you're just sort of cutting up the pie of who you're talking to. And I, for us, it's about creating like the collective voice or how are you getting more and more people to spread the word and you need to give them commonality to really hang on to. And so it also, I think should work together. I mean, of course there are instances where they happen separately and it could be really successful because of each part of the separate strategy is like incredible (laughs) and you've really hit gold with each one. That's great. But for most companies I see like it really all the parts have to really be speaking the same language. And again, that's where you create an efficiency of resources. You're also not making consumers work too hard because if I'm a consumer and I'm seeing that your ad looks different from your experience, which sounds different from your Instagram voice, if that's too much work for me in my brain to have to (laughs) decipher, like brands have four seconds to make the right impression on a consumer. And so just everything really has to be cohesive. So it's not unlike people thinking of brand as a separate thing when it's everything that they do. This is all embedded in the same bucket, right? Yeah. And I think that that is what makes really strong brands, right? Like when there is a voice and a point of view and it's sort of like anything, right? Like you don't post the same exact thing on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Like you take the nugget of what your message is and you create the different output for whatever your medium is. And I think that there are similarities there. I mean, a lot of the work that we do is obviously experiential first and the creative of the experiential really sets the tone. But there is also a lot of work that we do where a client of ours is like, you know, we're launching a new ad campaign and what's the experiential platform that complements the message that we are going to be rolling out on screens nationwide. And we work together that way to figure it out. So I want to kind of widen the aperture of our discussion here. You're embedded in a lot of companies. You've got clients. And I want to know what you've learned across all the different cultures that you're involved with. Yeah, that's a really great question. And honestly, kind of a hard one to answer because they're all so different and they all have 
really interesting nuances. <laughs> I think at least the clients that we work with, but I say pretty confidently that this is true across the board of there are always going to be people who are going to be the note takers who are never going to be action oriented or never going to be the leaders, but there will always be those one or two or three fearless leaders or fearless marketers in each company, whether that's a team of a hundred or that's a team of seven. And really for me, it's about connecting with that person and combining the energy and the vision and the thought process and helping them bring a vision to life as a partner and really believing in their vision and just knowing that like, it's really, really hard to be a fearless marketer in a big corporation. Like there's so much bureaucracy and you have to do so much politicking and there are so many meetings about meetings. Yep. Yep. I've been there. Yeah. You could do two years of work and the idea that everyone knows is the right idea gets shut down at the end because an executive is having a bad day, but to really kind of believe that the right ideas will see the light of day. And there are always going to be people who are either leading the charge alongside you or trust us to lead the charge or whatever it is. And it's about like finding out who those people are and making those connections that I think help all of us get to the next place. So you think a lot about mentoring young women in business as well. And what do you advise are the best practices there? Obviously having women as examples to mentor other young women is important, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of the young women that I mentor are so incredibly talented and they're a little earlier on in their career. They're sort of like five to eight years out of school and they're really killing it in their jobs and they're doing really awesome. But we always have to remember that young women have been like very programmed to believe certain things about themselves and to believe certain things about quote unquote how the world works. And a lot of the work that I do with the young women that I mentor is just honestly like giving them the confidence to make decisions and to say, you know, I am really, really great at this, even though my manager said X, Y, and Z to me at my last review, or I do have upward career mobility, even though I'm seeing women around me not get promoted. Like we talk about tactical things as well. And that is certainly so helpful and they need it and the sounding board and the advice and all of that is great. But to me, the most effective work that I see is that when I can help them kind of like unblock things that are just standing in their way from a pure self-awareness confidence moment. Confidence is so important, isn't it? Building confidence is hard and you can only do it when you're given the chance to build that confidence. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of women and a lot of people in general are, for whatever reason, led to believe that they are not worthy of success at a certain level. And, you know, all of this kind of comes back to this inherent self-worth. And so, whatever we can do as elders in the field, I'll say, (laughs) to help sort of guide them through some of those earlier years. of you know, it took me till my mid thirties to get to where I needed to be in terms of all that stuff. And if I can help them get there faster, I would be so happy because there are a lot of years that just go by where you're not doing all the things that are to your potential because you're just in your own head about it all. Yeah. Did you have a mentor? When you were younger? 
I didn't. I always had people to call. I didn't have like specific mentors, but about three or four years ago, I very shamelessly asked a couple of people in my network to be my mentors. And they are amazing. And I also work with a business coach who has like changed my life forever. So (laughs) I believe in it on all the levels for sure. Is there a lesson you took from having a mentor and what that person taught you or the example they showed? What did you glean from that? Yeah. I mean, I have different mentors who serve different purposes for me, but one that I think is like really cool is that I'm a CEO of an agency, but I've never been a CEO of an agency before. (laughs) And so, you know, I'm making a lot of it up as I go along. And so I found this guy at a conference who is lovely and I have twins and he has twins and we really hit it off and he's such a nice guy. And he had been the CEO of an agency for 25 years. And I was just like, is my job description even the right job description for me? And being able to really say to somebody, you have done this job. I haven't done it. I actually have like 50 real questions for you. (laughs) Talk me through some of the more stressful moments when I call you in an emergency that I need to meet you for lunch. Like that is incredibly, incredibly helpful. And so I think knowing where your holes are and being able to find mentors that actually help to fill some of those holes of things you don't know are really valuable. Just the thought of that and the kind of paying it forward thing makes me feel good that there are people out there who say, sure, yeah, let's have lunch and I'll give you advice and give me a call. That just makes me feel good. Yeah. I mean, there certainly have been people who are like, yeah, I'll be your mentor. And then it could never actually get on their schedule for lunch. (laughs) That's also good. Like I believe in that they wouldn't have been the right person for me. And that was just like, the world having my back of being like, don't even waste your time going down this path because it's not going to be the right person for you. But yeah, I mean, there are so many wonderful people who are willing to be generous with their thoughts and ideas and with their time. And for the women that I've been to like, I'm so happy to be helpful to them. Like when they text me to be like, I fought for myself in that salary negotiation or that job we've been talking about came through. Like I am so happy to be their cheerleader. And I'm also so happy to get on the phone with them and be like, don't take that deal. That's not the right deal for you. <laughs> You're worth more than that. Like, cause I get those emergency calls too. And like, sometimes you just need the person to remind you to like, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Keep swimming. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to experiential for a minute. What do you think the future looks like? Yeah. So for my team specifically, but I think that this is somewhat universal, or at least I hope it is. The future of Experiential is really all about sustainability. And that means a couple of different things. So from just a straight up resources perspective, Experiential is incredibly wasteful. People are building things for very short-term use. They're printing things. You can put up a whole 10,000 square foot of a build out and it comes down two days later and what happens to all of those resources. So that to me is a really big thing. I'm very interested in companies who are serious about that and who want to be partners with us in saying like, how do you create something eye-catching and whatever that is not so wasteful. I think about CES, which is going on this week and the number of exhibits out in Las Vegas that will just be tossed. Yeah, it's bad for our planet, but it's also a really big waste of money and there's a better way to do things. And so 
we're always challenging ourselves on that front. But also for me, I'm a very, very big believer in sustainability from a marketing perspective. So in our company, or I should say, start giving the context, an experiential, most of the things that happen are short term. So three days, a week, two months, whatever. We have programs that have been running for five years, multiple programs. And so for me, the sustainability of a marketing platform just is so much better from costing, resources, all of those things, but it also gives you a chance to build a real program. If you introduce an idea to people, they get excited about it and you take it away six months later, you're losing a lot of the value. We have programs like this one that I just mentioned that's been running for five years in six different cities. We never would have imagined what year five would have looked like at year one, but we've been able to grow it and have it evolve and let it build on itself and seize opportunities in ways that are really, really amazing that we never could have planned for. And like knowing now what had happened at year five, I've been so bummed if it only lasted a year, like we would have missed tons of magic. And so I'm a really, really big believer in building traction that way from an actual like sustainable marketing play. Yeah, sustainable in more than one way, right? And that is, as someone who's been in marketing for a long time, that is a rare thing patience is rare in our business. And that's what it takes to get something going, see it through the first year, maybe tweak it a little bit. But to let something like that live for the long term is a rarity. Totally. Yeah. And that's why also like you have to build it at the beginning to be successful for that. And, you know, a lot of times when we're working with clients who haven't worked like this before, we say, okay, like, let's break down year one, right? And like, we're also going to show you what year one will be successful on its own, no matter what, because we're setting it up that way. And the idea is good. And we're going to execute it perfectly, all that. But we're also showing you how year one fits into year two and three, and where we're going to get you by year three. So let's be like open eyes about this and saying like, there's beauty in a long term strategy. And this is how at a minimum, it'll play out for you. Interesting. I love contemplating the future, and I'd like to talk about the rest of 2020. What do you think are the two or three things you'll be tracking? Probably sustainability being one of them, but anything else on your radar? Yeah, for sure. I mean, things that I'm always thinking about are how are we connecting audience and experience in new and different ways. And I think that there are always platforms coming out on that front. I think a lot of them are gimmicky and don't have lasting power, but... I'm always on the lookout to see like who's going to bring something innovative. Can we come up with an innovative business model with some of these ticketed events? Like there are always cool things happening and I'm definitely on the tip of that for sure. And then just being, I mean, you mentioned sustainability, but I think also just being values driven in general. is so important. And I think unfortunately a lot of brands do value driven marketing in ways that ends up being very, very tone deaf have the wrong people in the room coming up with the campaigns or whatever it is they're trying to boil the ocean with a message that it's not going to resonate you know there are a lot of different reasons but i think that we're just seeing too often that some of these very very well-intentioned campaigns don't work and end up having a huge backlash and so i'm always looking to identify partners that i think really really authentically want to tell that story and to see what they're going to do and see if there's a way that we can do it with them. Because when we're all on the same page about it, 
then you can really bring it to life in a way that I think feels real and like really resonates with consumers. Yeah. Authenticity is also a hard thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really hard thing. But you have to be really careful because people will sniff you out real fast, you know? What was that campaign with one of the Kardashians? Yeah, the Pepsi campaign. The Pepsi campaign. Yeah, I believe that it was well-intentioned, you know? The result, not so much. No, the result, not so much. (laughs) Yeah, it was a crazy one. And so I think authenticity is tricky and it's not tricky. I think that if you're truly authentic, it's not tricky. It comes out really naturally. I think that if you're trying to like square peg round hole something because that's what everyone's talking about, that's when I think it becomes really tricky to tap into like what is the right creative approach. Well, it's like a company saying we're all about sustainability and then you find out they aren't, right? I mean, that's where the authenticity comes in or doesn't come in. It has to be something that speaks to the heart of the values of the company. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And so that's why I think it's really amazing that there are so many companies these days that are wearing their hearts on their sleeves in terms of that stuff. And for others that aren't, I think they're going to honestly fall behind in a lot of their categories because consumers, especially like the younger ones like this is such an important part of how they're interacting with brands and how they're interacting with the world and when there are companies who are really committed and really doing it right I think it's like such an awesome thing to see and I think it matters I think it gives them really good standing in the marketplace too yeah well it will be fun to watch and see who does well and who doesn't yeah for sure and who makes the next Kardashian Pepsi? <laughs> exactly. And there will be one. That's almost a certainty, right? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, Ruthie, thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Love getting to know you and hear about the participation agency and all the things that you're up to. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Next time, Shay Robottom on social, video, and LinkedIn. So stay tuned. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home-free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.